0: we're not helping ourselves by being comfortable with a system that looks and feels and smells like the buying and selling of children
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Law & Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Hey Josh, there has been so much happening in the world of adoption here recently, and um, obviously you're you're a part of that, and and what you have done here in Arkansas, and um, you know we're going to talk through today basically what the church needs to know about the adoption process, and and really on the legal side of this, and um, really to protect its members, but then also things you got to be kind of on the lookout for, and so I'm really excited to jump in this. Me as an adoptive dad, you as an adoptive dad, we're yep. kind of we're invested in this community, right? And so yep. we want to make sure our churches are very aware. Of what's going on in this space. So, um, kind of talk to us a little bit about what you've been seeing this month. Well, uh, we've known
0: this was coming for a while now. Uh, those who are kind of lawyers and who dabble in adoption, uh, or the, maybe that's all we do uh, for some of us. But, um, you know, we've seen a lot of, of situations in which there have been uh, lawyers and um, unlicensed adoption practitioners who will come in and they'll solicit a woman and uh, offer her money if she'll put her child up for adoption. Um, They will uh, offer exorbitant amounts of money uh, if she'll place her child up for adoption. Sometimes they'll fly them in from foreign countries uh, illegally and place them up for adoption. Uh, There are times in which um, those mothers are crammed into, uh, you know, there'll be 12 moms crammed into a three-bedroom house uh, and there's only three beds in the entire house. And so you've got Mom sleeping on the floor. We've seen images of padlocks on the outside of bedroom doors. Um, you know, a lot of these moms have been said to have told authorities that they were being treated like property. Um, and, and so it just looks like the buying and selling of children. And unfortunately, uh, people of faith uh, are tend to be the adoptive parents who are most frequently victimized here. Uh, you know, they come in and they want to do something good for the world. Um, they they feel driven by uh, by God to uh, adopt a child and to care for an orphan, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of times they go into uh, these situations uh, with some of these guys um, just kind of blinded by their own exuberance um, and their own uh, you know desire to be obedient and follow God. And so um, they, and then a lot of times they find out on the back end that uh, they may have been unwitting participants in a human trafficking scheme, mm-hmm. um, and you know we don't I don't personally think that we were involved in a human trafficking scheme, but I do think that uh, there were some unethical things that in hindsight um, happened in our adoption um, and it certainly caused uh, caused us to be a little bit more passionate about um, making sure that the adoption system is used properly. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about that. So, what what problems do you see in the American adoption system?
0: You know, there's a whole bunch of them, and you know, we could talk about this for for hours. But you know, let's start back at the very beginning, and you go back to 1851. That was the first time we really ever had adoption laws. Uh, and in in 1851, if you wanted to per, to perfect an adoption, you either had to have a special uh, resolution from your state legislature, uh, or mm-hmm. in some cases, an adoption was perfected by a deed, just like you would have to wow. a house. Yeah. Uh, wow. And so we started off treating adoption as if children were property. Um, it was motivated by two things usually. Uh, it was either motivated by a need for cheap labor on the western frontier, right? Wow. Uh, and so they would adopt from inner cities and ship them out west and uh, put them to work on the farms. Uh, or it was motivated by a need for a male heir uh, in times where women did not inherit property equally with their husband. Hmm. Um, so uh, that was, um, uh, you know, again, not very good motivation. Uh, it wasn't about taking care of children. It was about, uh, you know, family issues or um, forced labor. Yeah, um, yeah, really. So, um, you know, fast forward, you know, to to today, uh, and really, what we have now is not. Necessarily a means of child welfare, but we have a marketplace. Uh, when you when you look at adoption agencies and adoption lawyers, um, you know the the biggest shock I think to a lot of people is the expense and yeah. how much it costs. Um, and and you dig into it even deeper, and you find things that are even more troubling. So, for example, we find that um, to adopt a Caucasian baby, you're going to wait. It's probably a few years to do that, and it's going to cost thirty or $40,000. Mm. But studies have shown that if you want to adopt an African-American baby, it costs half of that.
1: Wow.
0: And so, you know, certainly that raises some red flags. We need to take a look at that and figure out why, and some researchers have done so. And um, in talking to some adoption professionals, they flat out told these researchers, um, you know, there are more African-American children available for adoption and fewer people who are willing to adopt them. What does that sound like?
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: That's supply and demand. It's, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and so you've got That's crazy. because we've turned it into a marketplace. You have market forces. Yeah. That are kinda, impacting exactly, it exactly yeah. and dictating terms. And so, um, you, you know, so, so we've got to we've got to step away from that um, that idea that that this is a marketplace. We need to move it even further than we've moved it. And fortunately, we're for the most part not treating kids as. Property. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, we're not treating adoptive parents as property or biological parents as property, but we do need to continue moving that to where our motivation and our systems are all pointed towards what's best for this child. Yeah, um, yeah. B- because that's that's ultimately what this all needs to be about. Um, so you know, that's that's one issue. You know, some other issues that we see uh, are conflicts of interest. Uh, you know, a lot of times you've got biological parents who will go to an adoption agency and you've got adoptive parents who will go to that adoption agency and that all happens in the context of an adoption marketplace. So it's an adoption agency but really what it looks like is a broker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and so they're providing services and listen I'm not I don't want to say that people who are working in adoption agencies are bad people they're not. Yeah, you know this yeah. is the system that as it exists. Uh, But you do have conflicts of interest where that one uh, adoption professional or that adoption agency or adoption lawyer is the choke point of all information, of money. Uh, A lot of times uh, the parties want privacy. You know, birth mothers and adoptive parents want privacy, so they're not talking to each other. The only people uh, they're talking to are one or two professionals at one agency who have a lot of money on the table and a lot of obligations here. Uh, And that can create conflicts of interest, and we've seen that um, in some of these particular cases uh, involving attorneys uh, in the area, uh, where it's not clear where that lawyer's loyalties lie. Mm -hmm. Um, Are they loyal to the adoptive parent or to the biological parent? And sometimes that switches. Uh, Sometimes they're loyal to the adoptive parent because that's where all the money's coming from, and that's technically who they're representing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the loyalty lies with the biological parents because the biological parents come in frequently. Uh, with babies to adopt, and these uh, practitioners oftentimes see this as, as nothing more than a supply chain. So that's an issue. Um, we've got a hodgepodge of different laws all over the country on what adoptive parents can pay to biological parents during the course of a pregnancy. Certainly, we don't want to look like adoptive parents are buying children. Yeah, that's not yeah. good. We don't want to do that. But we also don't necessarily want to make the biological mother. Uh, suffer financially, as well as emotionally, as well as medically. Uh, And so uh, there are certainly appropriate uh, things that adoptive parents can spend money on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Medical expenses, food, prenatal care. You, You know, you want... The baby to be taken care of in utero as much as you want the baby taken care of after birth. And so yeah. um, there are certain things that we want to pay for, but we need to tighten up what those definitions are. Um, you know, here in Arkansas, there's no cap on how much money uh, can be spent on behalf of uh, a biological mother. And there's two words in the law called general maintenance. Nobody really knows what that means, (laughs) Uh, and we've got lawyers who are are driving. It is, and we've got lawyers who are driving semi trucks full of cash through those two words. Wow! Uh, And so we kind of we need to tighten up that definition in terms of what's an appropriate expense. Um, But all of those things kind of combine together um, to create a real problem Mm -hmm. in 2016. Uh, there was a, a social worker who did, uh, um, who wrote an article for the uh, National Council of Adoption. He's actually their, their executive director now. And uh, one of the things he said is we've got to have a na- nationwide standard of ethics um, and a standard of practice for those who are doing adoption work. Uh, and he cited the reason for that uh, is just an enormously declining number of adoptions taking place. There are a lot more kids who are going mm-hmm. into care and a lot fewer people who are adopting them. Uh, And so um, without that standard, that national standard, people are questioning, can an adoption be done ethically? And the answer is yes, it can. Hmm. Um, But when you look at the adoption community as a whole, without that standard of practice and those standards of care... Um, it it really is uh, raising some issues and raising some questions in some parents' minds. So we've got to take a look at that. And I know for a lot of listeners, um, specifically who are are very conservative and evangelical, um, the issue of abortion comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was an article just this year, uh, back in May, in the Atlantic magazine uh, that was talking about um, adoption versus abortion and and what are we seeing there. And we're, we're seeing the rates of both decline. Um, which on one hand is good, on the other hand, maybe not so good, because when both of those numbers combine statistically, you're going to see a rise uh, rise in the number of kids in care. Um, And and in some instances, it's because now it's more socially appropriate for single parents to, um, to raise their kids alone. And so you see fewer adoptions that way or fewer abortions that way. So there are a number of different social factors uh, at, at work here. So, um, But the one thing that was really interesting that they talked about was interviewing some of these moms who had chosen an abortion over adoption. And one of the things that some of these moms said was, not knowing that a child I gave birth to is taken care of and not knowing who that child is going to, really, that is more morally reprehensible than an abortion.
1: Wow. And adoption
0: is is more morally reprehensible than an abortion. Um, And in making that decision to choose between what in that mother's mind was the lesser of two evils, an abortion was it, was the lesser of two evils. That's so sad. It really is. Um, And we're not helping ourselves by being comfortable with a system that looks and feels and smells like the buying and selling of children. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's not always the case. In fact, most of the time, it's not the case. Um, but most of the time, it doesn't make the news. Right? Yep. It makes the news when people are buying and selling kids. Yep. So, um, you know, there, there's some systemic fixes that we need to make. But that's really, that's the crux of the issue here in the United States is uh, it, there's not a national set of standards. Conflicts of interest are, are very common. Um, there aren't necessarily uh, any uniformity between state laws in terms of What's an appropriate uh, expense that an adoptive parent pays for a biological parent, and what's the process of doing that? So, all, all of those things just add up to a very broken system, uh, and mm-hmm. and there needs to be there needs to be some change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, from my experience, I mean, we we adopted um, through foster care, so through the system. So, um, you know, going into that, I can only speak from my experience, but, um, you know, anytime somebody's asked me, Hey, we would love to get into the adoption process. What does the cost look like? And, uh, I, there's no, no real answer to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've had, um, the, the funny thing is, is we actually went through and adopted a teenager out of the foster care system. And then just by chance, he had a half brother that was abandoned at the hospital. And so, uh, it's a, what, Caucasian baby that came into our home two weeks old and, and we have we had been telling people all throughout the process like it's very rare for you to get a, a Caucasian baby you know and so it's just kind of funny that he landed on our doorstep unintentionally and so um, we obviously took him in but it is one of those things that, that I think parents and the church need to be aware of of when you're going into this this broken system, it's you know, adoption is not perfect. In order for there to be an adoption that means something had to be broken. Yeah. And that's that's a a thing that even even a couple of years into our process, I had to realize like what it what it's like for the birth mother, what it's like for the bi you know the uh, the adoptive parents, what it's like for the system, the caseworker. At least in our situation, you know, in in uh, going through that process, um, but also on a private adoption side, you know, what does that look like? Uh, there, there are so many different sides of, of this story that you have to uh, take into account. And so the main part of that though, as you stated before was needs to be, it needs to be the child, yeah. the child needs to be that center the focus. And so, um, obviously, I mean, I, and I appreciate what you guys are doing, uh, especially here in Arkansas to try to kind of get, get a lot of those processes in order, make sure that there is some, um, balance to this as well. And that again, that the, the child is, is the main focus. Yeah. And so, um, so just even talking through that, I mean, um, what are the, uh, what really does a church have to do in these, and what what do church leaders kind of need to look out for, um, you know, that are they're shepherding their congregations? You know, folks are wanting to adopt in our church. There's a lot of adoptive parents. Um, what what do the church leaders need to really focus on to help um, guide their people through this process?
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think one thing that could be an immediate fix um, for church leaders is to really hone in on foster care. Um, you know, when you look at Scripture, James one twenty seven, for example, um, you know, it says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of the widow and orphan in their distress. Uh, those are true orphans. Um, people, uh, children who have been neglected or abused or whose families have died uh, and they end up in foster care, those are true orphans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't live in orphanages much anymore. They, they go to foster care. Um, and so, to take care of orphans, that right there is the primary place. Now, you know as well as I do that kids who have been abused and neglected are very, very difficult. Yeah, um, that there can <laughs> yes. be a lot of difficulties. They've been traumatized. They've been hurt. There are trust issues. Yeah. Um, their brain. No fault of their own. I mean, exactly they've gone through this. And, yeah. yeah, you know their their brains. Can't comprehend that it was that big person who hurt me, and not all big people. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so they don't that they have just these trust and attachment issues with adoptive parents, um, or with foster parents. Yeah, so that's very difficult. Uh, now I'm on the the board of directors of the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes, uh, and with some new legislation, it's forced residential care providers to move into more of a foster care. Paradigm. Uh, and these guys have it figured out. Uh, you know, I wish I could claim credit for it, but I can't. I just serve on the board and vote yay uh, when, <laughs> when it comes time to approve budgets and, and uh, you know, personnel staffing policies and whatnot. But, um, you know, what they put together was a system in which foster parents are recruited out of the church and commissioned as a missionary whose primary responsibility is to take care of that child, number one. Yeah, wow. And when it's safe, their mission is to reach out to those biological parents and to invite those biological parents to church. Because when a child Mm -hmm. has been neglected or abused, most of the time it's because of a lack of a support system, at least a healthy support system. Well, we know in the church that we can provide that, Mm -hmm. uh, and we've been doing it for years. It wasn't established for this purpose. It was established for the purpose of evangelism, but our Sunday school, our life groups, small yeah, groups. Yeah, that is a natural, healthy support system that's built around scripture. Yeah, and so the goal is take care of the child. Obviously, number one, when it's safe, reach out to those biological parents, pull them into that small group, let that small group love on those adoptive, on those biological parents, um, and work towards that reunification. Yeah. Work towards getting that child back with his mother and father, or yeah. her mother and father. But then you've got the relationship, you've got the network, you still get to maintain contact with that child. You still have contact with those bio- biological parents. You're continuing to help them, you're continuing to love on them, you're continuing to introduce them to Christ, um, and everybody is healthier, everybody is better for it. Yeah. Uh, and the best stories that I've heard out of that program are when adoptive parents and biological parents... I'm going to get choked up. Yeah, yeah. Adoptive parents and biological parents sitting next to each other watching that kid get baptized. Wow. You talk about an amazing picture of redemption, of being brought into the family of God and adopted to become a co-heir with Christ. Man, it's... That's amazing.
1: That's the story of the gospel, right? That's there. exactly I mean, what
0: it is. Wow. That's exactly what it is. And churches can do that. You don't have to have a statewide organization. Yeah. Um, you know, in Arkansas, the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries is a great model, a great place to go for that kind of help, but oh. you can do this in your your own church. Um, and so helping foster parents and and uh, helping biological parents who are going through those rough times and taking care of these kids, certainly what we need need to focus on. But beyond that, when we start talking about the need for the church to step up into child welfare, uh, we need to make sure that that's what the focus is, mm-hmm. child welfare. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the push has been so strong in, in just just adopt, just adopt, uh, that it's been more about the adoptive family
1: mm-hmm.
0: than it is about the child. Yeah,
1: yeah. When it's
0: about the child and what's best for the child, there is no room for a marketplace. yeah. The marketplace doesn 't matter because i 'll spend whatever amount of money I need to spend, or i 'll do whatever it takes to take care of that child so it 's not it 's not a marketplace anymore when it 's about that adoptive family now it 's how much am I willing to pay yeah uh, how much can you give me in order to satisfy this need of yours to adopt a child and so when we when we preach through this, when we preach through um, you know the, the the sections in Galatians talking about adoption or the sections in Romans talking about adoption. Who's the beneficiary? Who's the focus? It's not God, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's not. You know, God. God is the actor, but the beneficiary, the 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 party who who uh, experiences the most benefit from that act of adoption is us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We who follow Christ, the children of God. Yeah. And the same needs to apply here. That the focus, the beneficiary, the primary. Uh, point of impact of this entire thing has to be the child. Yeah. Um, and when we can shift our paradigm just a bit uh, to where it's not about growing your family, it's not about um, fulfilling some internal need to adopt a child, it's about that child. When we can shift just that little bit That little bit starts to make a whole lot of difference in the process of getting an adoption. So really focusing in on those aspects uh, when we're preaching through those texts and talking about adoption, um, focusing on the child and not on growing your family, I think is a huge thing that church leaders can do. And then just be be cognizant. Be aware of the things that are going on. Make build relationships with adoption agencies and adoption attorneys in your area so that you know who's reputable and who you can send people to um, in order to make sure that uh, the process goes smoothly and is ethical and, and so forth.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And I what you're saying kind of brought back some, some just some thoughts in our own personal lives of, of really preparing, because I think there's so many people that start off with good intentions with this, right? And especially in in, in adopting from care, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you want to go out there, you want to help, you want to do everything you can, but a lot of times you're not fully... Fully educated on the trauma or even yeah. trauma informed or trauma trained um, and that 's just something that we 've had to deal with uh throughout this entire journey and so um you know my wife is an advocate for that of making sure to take care of yourself, make sure that you 're ready to go too, and that you're informed going through this process because uh there', there it 's a roller coaster and it 's yeah. not just you're going to adopt this child and everything's going to be perfect and yep. you're going to be happy and that's that's uh, so much of the communication out there is do adoption because it'll make you happy and so i think kind of truing it up of saying this is about the child, you yourself need to be prepared and trained and, and, th- you know, even in the private adoption world being able to understand what that process looks like. Um, but again, I can't agree with you more. It has to be the child. It has to be that focus. Um, but you, again, you're yourself making sure you're in that place too, that you're informed and educated on how to best serve that child. Yeah.
0: You know, and I, this is maybe just a little bit of confession here. Um, but in adopting privately, one of my motivations was, I don't know that I have it in me. I don't know if that I'm, the, I'm built properly to handle the trauma mm-hmm. and the behavior out of that trauma. Uh, so I'm going to adopt privately so I don't have to deal with it. Well, guess what? <laughs> that baby uh-huh. in that mother's womb is alive. Mm-hmm. And here's that mother's voice. And here's that mama's heartbeat. And so after birth... When that voice is no longer there and that heart beats no longer, guess what? that baby starts to have problems, that yeah. baby starts to, to have some emotional problems, and it can cause other issues uh, that we just have to be um, we have to be aware of yeah. uh, and make yeah. sure that we um, in any of those situations private, whole point is private adoption is not the way to avoid. Trauma Trauma. in raising a child uh, because it's there. And then as they grow up, just because the trauma is not there as an infant, which is not always going to be there, but just because it's not there as an infant doesn't mean it's not going to be there at 14, 15, 16 when they realize, wait, you have a different skin color than I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or in our case, four. When my daughter recognized that she had a different skin color than i did um what what do we do with that yeah yeah. you know and and how do we help them gain their own identity of who they are when we're afraid of telling them about them being adopted or we're afraid of making sure they have contact with their biological family um and one of these days they're going to grow up and they're going to be asking these questions and the research has shown that the child is healthier the child is, is able to process process this much better if we don't shirk away from this notion that they're adopted. So when they yeah. ask questions, we answer them. When they ask about their biological parents, we answer them. When they want to meet their biological parents, when it's safe, we arrange for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's healthier for them. And in the long run, it's healthier for the biological parents. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because now they know they don't have that. Uh, case yeah. where they they don't know whether the child is healthy or whatnot. Um, and so it's healthier for them and more emotionally stable. And in the long run, it's better for the adoptive parents, too, because when we hide it, when we interrupt that relationship and get in the middle of that, guess what that does with our relationship with our own kids? It starts to sever that, yeah. right? And yeah. so it's healthier for everybody involved when we can be very open. We can talk about these things Um if we don't, that trauma is going to be there, and yeah. it's going to show up later in life. And so oh, absolutely. We, we've got to know what we're getting ourselves into when we adopt, but we are commanded to do so. Yeah. Uh, and if just five people from every church in America would adopt or foster a child, we would not have a foster care system. Wow. You know, I mean, that's all it takes is a handful of people in every church to foster a child. Um, and, and the church needs to step up and do that,
1: Yeah. you know. That's impactful for church leaders to hear right now. Yeah. So you as a church leader, you know, if they, they have questions around this, Josh, where, where can they find out more information from you?
0: Yeah, so go to churchgeneralcouncil.com. Uh, there is a, a couple of blog posts that have to do with adoption, and we'll be putting some more out uh, as uh, the days and weeks progress here. Uh, but that's a good place to kind of— to just get some resources on what's going on, uh, we may do an interview uh, later on this uh, this month um, with with somebody who does a whole lot in uh, the world of foster care, and we'll talk to some pastors who are, are working with it. It's National Adoption Month, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah uh, didn't so, say that up front. Yeah, so this is a good time to be to be talking about uh, these adoption issues, and so we'll do that this month. We're going to talk about um, quite a bit uh, dealing with adoptions, and then. Um, yeah, so go to churchgeneralcouncil.com. We'll have blog posts. We'll have more podcasts on it, and certainly uh, this is an issue I'm passionate about. It's kind of a little bit of a side gig for me, uh, working in adoption reform and uh, such, but uh, ultimately I'd, I'd talk to anybody about adoption. It's, um, I've been adopted uh, yeah. by God, yeah. um, you know, and I'm, uh, as such, I'm passionate about it, uh, and so I'd be happy to talk to any church leaders who just need some, some pointers or a place to turn to uh, with questions.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over
0: to Facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there.
1: And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.